0: Everybody hear me? Yeah. Good. Good morning. good morning. How's everybody? Good. At first it looked like nobody was going to be here, and I thought well, that doesn't make sense because we got an hour back. Everybody should have been early for church. Um, it's good to see everybody here today. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm on the teaching team here at Christian Church Buckhead. Uh, if you're new with us, or if you haven't been here in a while, it's your, if it's your first time, and I know a few of you it is because some of my friends are here, um, it's good to see you all. Um, you're, you came at a good time, because this is one of those rare Sundays in a church where being here today doesn't mean you need to have been here last week to understand what we're talking about, and you don't necessarily need to be here next week to get the, uh, the, uh, the final uh, end of it. So we want you to come back, but uh, this is just kind of a, a standalone message today. We're not in the middle of a series. Uh, we're kind of geared up for Advent in a couple weeks, and so we're, um, we're just kind of uh, going as we please. So when Derek approached me about speaking this Sunday, I said, well, what, what, is there anything you want me to speak about? Is there anything, you feel like the life of the church needs to hear? He said, just preach about whatever you want. And I thought, ah, well, don't do that. So um, you can blame Derek uh, that we're going to be talking about Fight Club, Peter Gabriel, and To Kill a, <clears throat> to kill a Mockingbird today. Um, so Fight Club. <clears throat> If you've seen it, then you know I'm about to break the first two rules of Fight Club. If you haven't seen it, I want to make clear that this is not a recommendation to see the movie. So I don't want anybody going home and renting it or getting it on Netflix and then emailing the church wondering why the guy on Sunday told us you should watch it. If you want to, great. I'm not saying you should. Everybody on board with that? All right. That's on record by the way. <clears throat> so Fight Club was a movie I saw when I was in high school. It's about 17. And the basic crux of the story is there's this guy who's going to have an existential crisis. He's frustrated with where his life is and where his life is going. And he meets this guy who kind of helps him break free of a lot of the things that are uh, kind of holding him back from where he thinks he needs to be. And they do so by staging underground boxing matches. And then it escalates and it kind of goes out of control and the guy's new friend kind of takes it off in another direction, it's about this whole struggle. And there's a big moment at the end, I'm not gonna spoil it if you haven't seen it, but when I was in high school, there was something about that movie that really resonated with me. Because there's this kind of macho, angsty, uh, rebellious, anti-authoritarian, did I say that right? I can't talk anti-authoritarian thing that's going on in the movie, and you sit there, and you're like, yeah, this is exactly what it feels like to be a dude, and just you really, uh. and I watched it, and I liked it. It was awesome. My friends and I would watch it. We didn't get into fights. Uh, Some people did, but we didn't. Um, And then I watched it a little later when I was a little older, and I thought, my skull wasn't hard yet. Uh, There's a lot about that movie that when you're 17, you don't understand is meant to be as a kind of a satire and not to be taken as like a a call to arms, but kind of a realization that sometimes you just got to grow up and deal with your problems. Um, But when you're 17, you don't get it. It's only after I became a little older and started working and started uh, living in the world uh, as an adult that I kind of realized that a lot of what that movie is saying is not that these you know that we need to throw out these things but it 's kind of showing the consequences of taking that line of thought to the extreme and kind of a uh, it 's really the story of a guy who 's just broken and, and struggling and he 's not a heroic figure at all it 's kind of this uh, the difference between not getting the irony of the nuance as a young man uh, and then kind of getting older and realizing that A lot of that story is just naivete disguised as cynicism Um, and recognizing that there's such thing as mature compromise between who you feel like you should be and what the world expects of you in a lot of ways. The next thing we're going to talk about is the song In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. Um, When I was in youth group, the last week of the summer before school started, we'd always have youth week. And it's just kind of this big last hurrah where the junior and the senior highs got together and you kind of cut loose. And it was the last event for the graduated seniors and it was the first event for the incoming sixth graders. It was really cool. And our youth director at the time, Alan Todd, would always pick a theme song for the week. And when I was going in the seventh grade, the theme song was In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. I didn't really get the song. Um, I, I had just discovered Dave Matthews Band and that was all I cared to listen to. Um, to the just absolute annoyance of everybody in my life at the time. But I, for whatever reason, that song just didn't click. And then the following summer, I went to camp. I, go, I went to Camp Bliss Growing Up. It's this is camp in Delana. It's awesome. Spent a lot of time there. It was a really great experience. And we had an all-camp dance. And uh, there was this girl I had a crush on. And that song came on, and everybody started pairing off for it, so I asked her to dance. And we did the the dance. There's, like, enough room for you and the Holy Spirit and, like, five other people kind of thing. Um, and after that, I really liked the song. Because there's, like, a new association with it. I had a new memory. There was something, um, This is something I could think back and, and think of it with, a, with more of a smile than more of it. I don't really understand this. And because of that, I started listening to it more. And paying attention to the lyrics. And it's become one of my favorite songs. And I truly believe it's one of the greatest songs not in a hymnal ever written. It should be in a hymnal. Uh, we ought to start a movement for that. Um, Derek and I were talking about it. It's, it's, it's a great church song um, in a lot of ways. Anyway. To Kill a Mockingbird. I, uh, I read that book when I was, I guess, 12 or 13 and when you're 12 or 13, you read that story, and you kind of see it the way it's being narrated by Scout and, you know, peripherally by Jen. Um, and just kind of that rose-colored view of the world, where summers are very idyllic, and you make friends that last forever, and there's the, the strange old bat down the street you don't quite understand, and it's kind of creepy. and um, And there's these adults in your life who you kind of have a vague sense that they're dealing with struggles, but you just don't have the experience or the knowledge to understand how deep they are. And I've read it seven times in my life. Uh, Really one of my favorite books. And as you you grow up and you reread that story, you start more and more to see it from the eyes of the adults in the story. And the struggles that they have to do what's right even though it's really hard sometimes. And there's fear involved in being an adult. When you're a kid, you don't get it. You trust that the adults in your life have the answers, they're not afraid of what's going on, and they can take care of it. But when you get to be an adult and you're reading the story and you realize there's so much that I'm just not prepared for, and maybe it never will be. But the more I read that story, the more I realize that uh, there's just it, it, it touches me in a different way. And every time I've read it, I come away with something different. I underline books, and uh, I, I can go back through my copy of that book and see where I've underlined things as I've gotten older and things that I didn't catch when I was 12 um, that I resonate with even more now, and things that I, I underlined when I was 12 that I think <laughs> I had a lot to learn, um, if only I could tell myself. Um, It's interesting. The way Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians is that when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And we all have things and places and people who mean different things to us at one point in our lives. And then as we grow older and experience more and encounter them over and over again, they start to mean something else for better or worse. And another one of those things is Scripture. Scripture is one of those things that, I mean, this is a dense and powerful book. There's a lot in here. There's history, and there's law, and there's biographies, and there's poetry, and there's letters to and from people, and there's, uh, there's love, and hate, and war, and peace, and all this stuff just packed into this, and you can never exhaust it of its meaning or reach a place where you fully understand it you can always come back to it and encounter it and learn something new from it which you never thought possible there's so much that that we that we take for granted because we think the bible is just this book on a shelf it's static but it's not it's dynamic it's a it's a dance between the divine and the imperfect and so we have to read it and approach it accordingly we have to be willing to move with it as it uh, Adds things to us and takes things away, takes things away from us and, and shapes our lives, but we have to come to it with that kind of humility and let it grow in us and know that it is meaningful beyond the things that we learned when we were in Sunday school. Because there's so much that that as I've read the Bible, I, I thought I knew, and then I go back and read something again. I might have read it a hundred times. And because of a, a certain experience I've had that week or because of a way I've grown in my uh, perceptions as, as I've gotten older, um, I encounter it and come away from it differently. Uh, I mean, right now, I, uh, I'm going through the book of Exodus. I hadn't done that in a long time, but I was at a conference a, a few weeks ago, and um, two of the speakers, well, I, I don't, they didn't plan it, but they both spoke from the Exodus story, and I thought... I haven't read that in a while. I need to go back to it. And I'm reading it. And there are things, I mean, I know the story, you know, the the broad strokes, but there are things in it that I've read a hundred times. And now I'm reading them. And and in light of a lot of things that are going on in my life right now, I'm catching details that I've never caught before. And it's awesome. In Deuteronomy, there's this really great riff. Uh, God is speaking down to the people and he says, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you neither is it too far off it's not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for uh, for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it but the word is very near to you it is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it i mean it's it's here and it's, dy- it, it's, it's dynamic, it's, it moves, it moves in us, it moves around us. I get really aggravated when I hear people say, the Bible is just an outdated book, or the Bible is no longer relevant. And I think that's a really arrogant thing to say, that somehow, all of a sudden, we in the 21st century have outgrown a book that has outlasted more cultural change and social upheaval than any of us will ever see in our, in our lives. And it continues to impact people today. So to sit there and say, oh, we, we don't need this, or it's, it's a book written by uh, old, dead people. I mean, every history book is written by somebody. We take those for granted as well. It's not outdated. Uh, and if it were outdated, it would have been outdated a 1,000 years ago. I mean, we don't all of a sudden ha- have moved light years beyond it when... Uh, when there have been so many things that have happened since since these things were written down. And then people say, But I've never seen it move. I go to it and I, I don't I don't get that from it. And I I want to ask people, have you moved with it? I mean when you approach scripture, do you approach it with defiance and skepticism? Or do you approach it with apathy and indifference because "Ah, it's a nice story, it's got some cool stuff in it, but I don't need this to guide my life. Or do you approach it for what it is? That is the source of everything that we know about who God is and what God's doing and how God sees things. And if we approach it humbly with that in mind, we might find that it does start to move and it does start to change things for us. But it's only when we come to it with that mindset that it starts to do that for us. We run a risk of becoming stagnant and we take for granted that we know what the Bible says or worse, that we think that the Bible no longer has anything to say. N.T. Wright, who's one of my heroes, uh, when asked, you know, what kind of advice would you give uh, to Christians today? And he says, just read the Gospels more. The dynamism of the Gospels And the person who walks out of those pages to meet us is central and irreplaceable. He's always a surprise. We never have Jesus in our pockets. He's always coming at us from a new angle. And so we have to dive in prayerfully and intentionally and continually with faith and humility to see what God is saying. So if I had any practical advice to leave you with today, it would be just read it. And I don't mean read a couple verses and then put it away for a week. I mean, if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do, and that's better than nothing. But I mean, dive into it. I mean, read some from the New Testament. Read some from the Old Testament. Think about it. Pray about it. Talk about it with other people. And do that day after day after day, and just see what happens. I mean, you've got nothing to lose. I dare you to try it. So with that in mind, we're gonna, I'm just going to give you a primer. We're going to start... We're going to start with a story that most of you probably know. Some of you may not. It's going to come from Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spice that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood before them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. It seems kind of strange to talk about the Easter story. when We're just weeks away from Advent and the Christmas season. But you really can't hear it enough, I don't think. Um, so I want to give you some context. And we'll be out of here by lunch. Um Some time ago, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, it's not really that important, God created the world. Um, And a lot of people point out that there are a lot of creation stories from that time period in that place. Um, The way that this story is a little different is that in all those other narratives, there's a struggle between a bunch of gods and the world is created by what's left over after they fight. And in the book of Genesis, we have the only story where it's one God creating something out of nothing just out of sheer will and sheer love of his creation so god sets up this world and it's good and it's the beginning of something wonderful and in that world he puts an image of himself to uh, to be his representative to creation to be his image and his likeness and his presence in the world that he has created and he enters into a relationship with that image of humanity. He comes, he, he, he begins a friendship, a, a familial kind of a father and son and daughter relationship with them. Um, and he's there, and he's in their midst. But over time, uh, that relationship is strained and twisted and stretched because there's, there's defiance to the commands that God has given. And God gave the commands not just to be some arbitrary rule, taskmaster, you know, you got to do what I say. But it was, it was to help us know what it meant to be his image in the world and to live fully into true humanity as we were created to be. And we defied that. And we broke it. And the relationship was torn apart. And so throughout the first part of the Bible what we call the Old Testament, what you see is God beginning a pursuit in love of his creation. It's not, a, it's, it's not the story of us reaching up to God, of trying to do enough stuff and say enough stuff and pray enough stuff and, and check the right things off so that we can earn and attain an eternity in heaven. It's God coming down and pursuing us and chasing his creation because we can't work hard enough to get it all back. And he chases us in spite of ourselves because he wants to restore us for our created purpose, which is to be in communion with him. And eventually it came to a point where God crosses the breach between eternity and history. And it enters into the world. The first chapter of the book of John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our creator left his place in heaven to come be a part of the world with us, to live among us. He experienced love and anger and joy and sorrow and delight and fear and pleasure and pain, just like we do. He had a family. He had parents and brothers and sisters, and sometimes they didn't all get along. He had friends who he traveled around with and had a good time with, and sometimes they misunderstood him. As a young as a young man he had to learn about the the word of God and so he went to he basically had school to go to. He had a job, he had to make a living. He went to weddings and he went to funerals and he dealt with temptation. Does that sound like anything you're familiar with? Any of that? The way Paul writes to the Philippians he says that uh, God didn't count equality with, uh, Jesus didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, and humbled himself and became like a servant to us. And among us, Jesus showed us what it meant to be truly human, the way God intended. And he pulled back the curtain of reality to show that the kingdom of God is just on the other side of when you start loving God with your whole being and when you love others as you love yourself. And that's it. The kingdom of God is bursting in. And such was Jesus' love for us that 2,000 years ago, he was betrayed, he was arrested, he was tried, he was executed on a cross as a punishment for our sins. He was taken down, he was wrapped up, he was put in a tomb, he was buried, and everybody assumed he was dead. Nobody was expecting him to come back I mean you get that throughout the gospels they just they just don't get it because they weren't even expecting him to be killed and so for a few days his disciples are wondering what do we do now our leader's dead we never thought this would happen but such was his power that it was impossible for death to hold him down and so on Sunday morning Jesus was resurrected and he came out of the tomb fully alive and more fully human than ever before And it was the start of something new. And for the next few days, he spends time with his disciples and he says that all authority on heaven and on earth have been given to me. On heaven and on earth have been given to me. That means that there's something that he started that's happening right now. Where we are. And he gives them a commission to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God. To teach people what he commanded and to baptize them into that knowledge. And shortly thereafter, he ascended, having defeated the enemy of life. And shortly after that, he poured out his spirit on a group of believers on the day that we call Pentecost. This was the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit comes down, and it starts to proclaim the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to a group of people who don't all speak the same language. They're not all from the same place. They don't all do the same stuff. And somehow, this message crosses all those boundaries, and it's heard and understood by everybody. And people started coming and and wanting to know what this was all about. It's not that you have to be born into the right uh, nation, the right family. It doesn't mean you have to have the right, uh, you have to read it in a certain way, in the right language. It's something that's all of a sudden dispersed for all people, for all time. And it's that spirit that then, throughout history and even today, gives us encouragement and assurance and peace and wisdom and strength and hope and love and empowers us to continue to proclaim the kingdom of God. It was the beginning of an invasion. The kingdom of heaven is not some far-off place, but it's bursting around the edges of reality, and it is our job as Christians to reveal it in how we live and in what we say. The resurrection of Jesus signifies something. See, it wasn't enough. A miraculous birth doesn't really mean anything without the life of Jesus. And the perfect life of Jesus doesn't really mean anything without his death. And his death is just a martyrdom if there isn't a resurrection that accompanies it. His resurrection signifies that death no longer has power and that those who call upon Jesus and give up the the pursuit of a false self in exchange for a true self in Christ can walk to the other side and live eternally with him. The resurrection signifies that the kingdom of God has arrived, that we no longer have to wait because victory is already won in Christ Jesus. And we're citizens of that kingdom. And as citizens of that kingdom, we have a job to do. The resurrection signifies that whatever befalls us, God is not absent, He's not far off, and He's not oblivious or aloof. He is present and active in us and through us and around us. And he knows our struggles, not because he's all-knowing. I think we get too bogged down in these philosophical notions that we project on God. Whatever else God is, God loves us. And the reason he knows our struggles is not because he's all-knowing, it's because he was here. He lived here. He did the stuff that we do. He struggled with the stuff that we struggle with. And he, he did it perfectly and showed us what true humanity is. He celebrates with us. When we, uh, when we celebrate, he raises his arms in joy. And when we grieve, God is there with us, weeping beside us. It's not a promise of an easy life, and it's not a promise that we ever have all the answers. That's not what it's about. But whatever reasons there are for the way the world is, I mean, why, a good thing, why bad things happen to good people... And why life can be so great one minute and just fall apart around us. I don't know. And sometimes I think that if we could answer that question, what good would it do us in the first place? Would knowing the answer to that question make any of it any easier? I don't think it would. But whatever the reasons are, we know that the reason is not that God does not know. Because he he lived among us. He did the thing. And we know it's not because he doesn't care or that he doesn't love us, because if that were true, then he never would have come in the first place. And so whatever else is going on, we have a promise, not necessarily that things are going to get easier, not that we're going to know the answers to really tough questions, but that God's presence is here. And it's going to strengthen us and enrich us. And when things are going great, we're going to understand it more fully as joy. I and mean, When things are going uh, difficultly we can reach out to the presence of God and understand that he's there empowering us and moving us through it. And that's why we're here. Because in spite of our sin and our failure, Christ loves us enough to show his will in life, to, sh- uh, to, to pay our way with his death, to claim our victory with his resurrection, and to guide us daily by the presence of his Spirit. That's the good news. Um, I don't know where you are with that story today. And um, maybe you've heard the story before and you, I get it, I know, I'm sold, good. And I hope that hearing it again has reminded you why you believe it in the first place. Um, Maybe you've heard it before and you are just not, there's something in it that you heard now that you hadn't heard before. Maybe you're, you've never heard it before, and you're kind of curious about what the rest of this is about. Or Maybe you're still skeptical, and you, you still don't want to believe it, and if that's the case, I can only pray that at some point God will show you what in my weakness I can't make clear. Um, but I don't want to give this story without a chance to respond to it. Um, I'm not going to call anybody up here. We're not going to make you get up here and tell everybody how you messed up this week. Um, it's not going to be one of those, but I do want us to take a few minutes to bow our heads and close our eyes and just allow God to do what God's doing for better or worse. Whoever we think we are um, and let God move. So if you would bow your heads with me. God, we thank you that you love us enough that you um, that you would show us your will and your way. We thank you that, um, that you want us to live like you so much that you have imparted your word before us, this holy and living and breathing word of life, that, uh, that as we live and as we move and as we grow, that every time we encounter it, we get something new. And so we thank you that you have given us that gift. And we ask for the discipline and the strength to return to it day after day and really open our hearts and our minds to understand what it's trying to say to us and then live accordingly. God, there are people in this room who've heard this story before and they get it and they they love it. And we're thankful that that you've done so much for us. And so... For just a moment, I want to allow space for those people to to reflect on why they believe this and what it does for their lives day after day. people in this room today that have heard the story before and maybe they're on the fence. Maybe they just something is moving in them. Something's been shaken loose. There's a bell that's been rung. Something started. For those people, I want to allow a moment for you to continue to move in them and continue to shake them up that they might fall one way or the other they might come to know you more and you would be there when when they come to that place to meet them and reveal yourself to them Maybe there's somebody in this room that today's the first time they've ever heard this story and it's new and maybe they're more curious about it than they were before maybe they uh, maybe there's something they've learned that they hadn't thought of maybe they've gained a new insight on their own lives by hearing this story for the first time So I want to give a moment for these people to to reflect on a new story, one that will continue to shape them and grow them if they allow it. And just can't get there. It's still too hard to believe. Maybe their pain is too great, their disappointment is too great. For whatever reason, they haven't seen you. And maybe today didn't do it. And so I pray that as they leave this place and they continue on their journey, that sometime down the road, whether it be today or tomorrow or a week or a year or 10 years, that you would continue to move in the world and the people and the experiences that these people have so that one day they would hear the echoes of this message and come to a place of faith and surrender to you. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you have created such a beautiful world that you chase us down that you've died for us that your power over life and death is is eternal that you have defeated the enemy of life that you have inaugurated a kingdom that we have the privilege of being a part of and as we leave this place help us too as Jesus did pull back the curtain and reveal the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven